Sometimes in pressure situations, in the heat of battle, men say things that would have their mothers searching for a bar of soap. Now, this next feature does not celebrate foul language, but it is a study of it. Mark Twain once said that under certain circumstances, profanity provides a relief denied even to prayer. Well, I swear you won't hear a single curse word in this piece, but you will hear quite a few and and. All right, everybody get in and smile. What is up, Football Nation? It is the Football Nation Presents the Sportscasters Podcast, episode number 21, September 20th, 2012, and we have a great show lined up for you today. I am the host, Steve Bennett. My co-host is Don Russ. What's up, Don? Hey. We are very excited for the first time ever on the Football Nation Podcast to be able to to bring you an interview with a good friend of ours, Jason Lackenfora from CBS Sports. It's funny, I think the very first time we ever interviewed Jason on the other podcast, he was from the NFL Network. Sure was, yes. And um, he's not there no more. He is now with uh, CBS, and you can find him on Sunday mornings and uh, all over the new CBS Sports Network where the Jim the Jim Rome show it's been kind of right, carrying right. that network a little bit, but now you can get the lock over there too. And uh, we're really excited to have Jason on the show today, so you can look forward to that in a little bit. Yeah, if somehow you're not aware of who he is, he's kind of their answer to ESPN's Adam Schefter a little bit. He kind of does that type of job. Exactly. Uh, I want to thank Don Banks, who was our guest last week on the show. Uh, Don was great, and a lot of people seem to enjoy it. You know, we're, we kind of get surprised from time to time, like – who Football Nation is going to respond to. I mean, I would have bet 10 bucks to one that the Albert interview would have done better than the Banks interview, but it didn't work out that way. Right. And I don't know if it was timing, you know, with it being Albert being just before, before the season, the season and right, Banks right. being just after, but uh, it seemed like you guys liked that Don Banks one. So thanks to Don from SI and SI.com. We'll make sure we get him on again sometime uh, this season. Don't forget you can check out our other podcast, the Sportscasters Proper, as we call it around here sometimes, at www.sports-casters.com. We have a great interview with Lee Jenkins, and if you're a fan of Snoop Dogg, you might want to check that out. <laughs> uh, we also have Ben Ryder from Sports Illustrated and sportsillustrated.com talking some baseball. And Roy McGregor, who's a future member of the Hockey Hall of Fame, is on the show to talk about a depressing subject, the NHL lockout. Yeah. Uh, so make sure you check that out there, over there. Um, Don has mentioned before, and maybe it's worth mentioning again, uh, if you're interested in checking out that Don Banks show or maybe the one that we did with the director of Hard Knocks or the one we did way back when with Peter King, you can search on the Football Nation search bar on the front page for sportscasters, and our show should pop right up for you. And hopefully this one was easy enough for you to find this current one. And if that's the case, you can click on our name somewhere on the story. And that will bring you our past shows too. So uh, we got a lot to do today with Jason Locke and Fora. Uh, we got some email to read later, and we're going to close the show with one last thing. Before we can get to any of that, we have to do three things. Let's play a game. <laughs> 
All right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. Two. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. Three. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this is the funnest night ever. <laughs> Did we just become best friends? Yep. Now let's move on to other business. During the regular season, uh, this is probably going to be the point of the show where we usually recap what happened in the in the week before because I mean, what's bigger in the NFL than the NFL itself. And there was a lot that happened this week. Uh, controversy at the end of the Giants and Tampa Bay game. That was ugly. Yeah, the Giants who stole the lead away and were sealing off a victory. 25 fourth quarter points. Yeah, that's ugly. Tampa Bay should be embarrassed. Uh First of all, for how they put in the field. And then while Eli was taking knees, they decided that'd be a good time to jump the pile and try to get a cheap fumble. I don't know. Just kind of Bush League stuff. Uh, I'm all for playing from whistle to whistle, but come on. I mean, that's how the you're going to try to the steal game a win. was over. Yeah, it was over. and Silly stuff. That's never going to work anyway. And uh, he said something like, you should see how Rutgers... We played at Rutgers. This isn't Rutgers. No. This is the major leagues now. This isn't the Big East. Yeah, guys are playing for millions of yeah. dollars. You can't afford to hurt somebody jumping over a pile on a meaningless play. It's stupid, uh, uncalled for, and they should be embarrassed by their play more than anything. Yeah, uh, crazy ending to the Patriots and Cardinals game. Yeah. Uh, Don and I, I think, both had the Patriots and Eliminator so, uh, yeah. and weren't happy with the way things ended. He didn't see it. So the Cardinals basically controlled the game all day. Uh, all day I, I kept looking at the score and was just thinking like, wow, what what is New England doing? When is New England going to get their act together? Uh, with 14 minutes left in the fourth quarter, Kevin Cobb had a five-yard touchdown run uh, to give Arizona a 20-9 to lead. Uh, Steven Guskowski kicked the field goal at 645 left to bring Arizona within eight. Uh, or, Patriots. Patriots. Right. Patriots got the ball back and all of a sudden it was the... Brady to Gronk show. Yep. They went all the way down the field. Bing, bang, boom. Gronk catches a five-yard touchdown pass. Bring the Patriots within two. Try a two-point conversion. Brady goes back to Gronk. Falls incomplete. Uh, the Patriots defense needs a stop. Looks like they're not going to be able to get it. And Ryan Williams, who calls himself Little Sweetness, <laughs> uh, very unsweetly coughs, coughs yep. the ball up. The Patriots pick it up, and they're bam, they're in business. Two plays later, uh, Woodhead... Scores the touchdown. Game over. Patriots win. Nope. Flag on the field. Gronk was holding. So Patriots get a little bit closer. And I then, haven't seen the play, but it was a legit hold from what I understand. Yes, it was so a legit he, hold. He earned that hold. He didn't, it wasn't a, wasn't a bad call. So then, for some reason, Patriots just stopped playing. Decided to basically play, play, play for, for the field for the goal. Field goal. Yep. And uh, Steven Goskowski, who's usually pretty reliable for them, is actually 4-for-4 four four on the day going into the kick, including a 53-yarder. Uh, he shanked it wide left. It never had a chance. Hard, yeah. Wasn't close. And uh, the Patriots killed about probably 60% of everyone's eliminators out there in a wild game. Most interesting thing about that game, from my point of view, is I, I watch the games with my brother almost every weekend. And during the Bills' halftime, uh, they're talking about – Oh, we have a potential upset in progress, and we look at the score, and it's 6-6. And we're like, come on. They lost Aaron Hernandez. They're a big two tight end team. They're just 
making they're going to go into the half, make some adjustments, and they're going to blow this game out. And that just never happened. And maybe the Cardinals' defense is the real deal. And the Cardinals are two and zero, two and zero, yeah. With Kevin Cobb for most of those games, he didn't turn the ball over. He had no interceptions. You know, I know game manager is kind of an evil word now, but <laughs> I mean, not only I mean, who would think that they would win? But who would think they win with Larry Fitzgerald having a one catch, four yard stat line? Yeah, that's not good. Um, what else happened this week? The Saints, your Saints, what's didn't, going on? Just didn't bounce. I mean, really, what's going on? The defense is not giving the offense a chance to win the game at all. And I think some guys are trying too hard. <clears throat> Drew Brees. Yeah. And uh, the Drew Brees pick six is basically the difference in the game. Uh, it's the second eight-point loss the team has suffered. And, you know, part of what encourages me a little bit, if there's anything to be encouraged about, is – the last two weeks, the Saints have been outplayed, okay? They've, they've given up a ton of yards, and they haven't played very well. But they've only lost both games by eight points, and both times they've had the ball with a chance to score a touchdown and potentially tie it with a two-point conversion. It hasn't happened yet, um, but they get the Chiefs at home, and that might be the perfect, <laughs> uh, perfect medicine sure for seems us to be. this week. Um, well, a couple other things. Rookie quarterbacks bouncing back this week. Yeah, last week they were what one and four. I think. Yeah, the only one who won the first week was RG three. Uh, this week they did m- much better. Uh, Russell Wilson got a victory against the Cowboys. Andrew Luck got Andrew a win. Luck got his first win against the Vikings. Whedon didn't win, but he looked really good. Didn't win, but looked good. And Trent Richardson, who's not a quarterback, also had a bounce back performance from Week One. Tannehill got his first win. Yeah, Tannehill got his first win. Reggie Bush was great. Yeah. Redskins, tough week for them as far as injuries. They're yeah. lose Arakpo for the rest of the season. Adam Carriker too. Yeah, and Carriker, so that's tough for them. Especially how like optimistic things started for them. Sure. And I called Sam Bradford out on this show in the one last thing segment last week. Yeah, and he played well. He stepped up to the plate. He was twenty six for thirty five for three hundred and ten yards and he had three touchdowns and he led his team down to a game winning. Uh, touchdown and two-point conversion when they absolutely needed it. Yeah, and I know it seems like a long time ago, but uh, back on Thursday night, Matt Forte also got injured in a loss, really an embarrassing Maybe loss. Maybe not as bad as they thought, though. Yeah, the coach is adamant that it's not a high ankle sprain, which is what you like to hear as a fan and fantasy owner because those can nag and take a long time to heal. And I already mentioned Aaron Hernandez is hurt, and he's going to be out for a little while. The Patriots, to replace him, picked up uh, Kellen Winslow today, so... I mean, they're still going to stick with that. They're not going to change their game plan, it sounds like, because Hernandez is out. All right. All right, my second thing this week, after an impressive Monday night victory, a big victory, too, over a, a tough, tougher opponent than Kansas City, the Atlanta Falcons win 27-21, and Michael Turner celebrates by going out and having a few too many pops, apparently. He was pulled over doing 97 in a 65 after the Monday night game. Again, Whoa. I don't know why these guys are driving themselves around, but he had somewhere to go in a hurry. Uh, he was pulled over. The cops smelled the alcohol, and he was charged with DUI. I don't know exactly how fast the league moves on these things, but I imagine there'll be some sort of suspension for violation of the player conduct policy. But we had gone a couple of weeks without talking about arrests, and it was nice, and then Michael Turner blows it after a win. You should have been in bed, Michael Turner. Uh, <laughs> that's embarrassing. All right, uh, my second thing today, uh, really interesting. Don kind of mentioned it, but there's some funny quotes. Uh, The Patriots added the soldier, Kellen Winslow, 
Uh, and we know this because Dennis White, the CEO of EAG Sports Management, the agent for Winslow, tweeted, congrats to our client at Colin Winslow Jr. for signing with the Patriots. All right, let's have a party. Well, uh, when asked about this today, Tuesday, as we record, Bill Belichick said, I'm not going to talk about any player any players that aren't on the current active roster. <laughs> oh, okay. So I don't necessarily know what that means. I'm going to guess that Winslow is still going, to be, a going to be a Patriot. Well, I hope so because we've said it on two podcasts. Yeah, now, so. <laughs> some interesting stuff there. And then also uh, there's a report floating around that Dion Branch is going to come back to the Patriots. Uh, Branch was a surprise cut on August 31st when the Patriots trimmed the roster to 53 uh, he spent six of the past ten seasons with New England and was expected to be in the mix at the top of the receiver depth chart, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but with Hernandez out several weeks and uh, Greg Salas waived on Tuesday, uh, Branch, I guess, could be an extra weapon for uh, Brady. And it, something weird is going on with the Patriots and Welker. Yeah, I was just going to say, Wes I don't Welker, know where this fits into that. Fantasy owners have got to be going, why? Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't get it. Everyone talked about Hernandez going down and how this means more work for Welker, and that's exactly how it played out in that last game. But, yeah, something's odd there. Like, Belichick and the Patriots, and they're off. Like, they're not afraid to. Uh, they march to their own drummer, scold, for sure. Like, like they're, they're almost like punishing Welker, it seems like. Either that or he's lost a step after just getting a little bit older, I suppose. Um, my last thing this week, and it's not a fun one to talk about as far as the legitimacy of the league goes, but uh, it was an especially bad week for the replacements, replacement refs. Yeah, they took a beating on Twitter, man. Most notably on Monday Night Football. We talked the first week how they, they had little bumps. But overall, they didn't really affect any games, and it didn't. They also got a huge break in that Arizona-Seattle game. Because they gave them an extra they gave the extra time out, but it didn't come back to haunt them. Right. So, I mean, they've had – that's the bigger problem uh, is the stuff that – they're going to make mistakes on the field, but the, irreg- the original officials are going to make mistakes on the field. The biggest one usually is pass interference because it's not reviewable and it's just a judgment call, and it just feels like wide receivers nowadays, every time they don't catch a ball, stand up looking for pass Absolutely. So that's something they're going to get wrong. That would be fine, but it's gotten to the point where there's a lot of little ridiculous things happening. Uh, a referee was pulled before the Saints game because he was bragging on Facebook <laughs> about how excited he was to, to – he had pictures in Saints gear in front yeah. of the Superdome, and he had a friend say, why don't you give us some calls this week? <laughs> yeah, so that's not good. I don't imagine he's going to ref another game. That and, was an embarrassment for the league. Uh, the the official in the Baltimore-Philly game negated a flag OTD without throwing the flag. Apparently, I didn't see that call. Apparently, it was the correct call, but that's just a little strange. You're going to call pass interference, negate a touchdown, but you never even threw a flag on the play. Uh, in the same game... I didn't see this either, but apparently the two-minute warning occurred twice in that game. <laughs> you never have enough two-minute warnings. <laughs> and again... Uh, Some of the stuff on Monday was brutal. There was a five-yard illegal contact penalty that got marched off 11, 11 yards. yards uh, uh, there was another penalty that Matt Ryan was rushing, and there was another call in the secondary, and it's supposed to be a tack-on. They didn't tack it on, so they had to stop the game because the off... Off off field official caught it, so then they, he buzzed down to a guy, and 
you have all these things in place, and the game last night was like six hours and fifteen minutes or something, <laughs> and they never seemed to have control of it. The yeah, that's the bigger too thing. Too big. Yeah. Uh, there was a, f- a scrum on a fumble by Noshan Moreno that looked like the Broncos had recovered. Yeah, usually the team that has the ball in the bottom the of the pile is the team that gets but it. But they awarded it to the Falcons, and that isn't reviewable. And well, turnovers now are all reviewed, I, su- I guess. I'm not sure if a scrum in a pile is reviewable per se. I but think what's reviewable there is if it was a turnover. Oh, okay. I don't think it's not reviewable who Possession. recovered the ball. Yeah. Yeah. I guess in Cincinnati and Cleveland, uh, the clock ran for about 29 seconds after an incomplete pass. That game was a one score game with uh, who lost that Cleveland, Cleveland yep. ending up with the ball on their own 29 at the end of the game and running out of time. So maybe if they had that 29 seconds, they at least have room for a Hail Mary. You know, it just feels like a lot of little stuff that's building up to give us the real officials back. Yeah. But I thought Steve Young had some really strong comments. I'll give him credit. After the Monday Night Football game, he basically said the owners just don't care. There's no way for this to affect the demand of the product, and until it does, we're not going to see the change. And if that's the case, don't expect to see Ed Hockley flexing on the field anytime soon. <laughs> and I guess they did cost a game technically. And I'm almost glad this didn't play out. But because, again, it wasn't like a judgment call. This was a misinterpretation of a rule. Uh, I just stated that in addition to all scores being reviewable plays, all turnovers are reviewable plays. Well, there was a turnover in the Washington-St. Louis game that Jeff Fisher tried to challenge. And apparently that's akin to calling a timeout in basketball when you don't have one, and it should have given him a 15-yard penalty and rendered the play unreviewable. They reviewed the play, found out that whatever he wanted reviewed was correct, and they overturned the call. So the call itself was made right, but because he threw the red flag to review that play, he should have been assessed a penalty and rendered the play unreviewable. It would have been a ticky-tacky way for that game to change, and I'm glad it didn't. And I think it's kind of a stupid rule, but it is a misinterpretation of the rule. It's just these guys not understanding the rules. The stage is too big, There's too, and the pressure is building. Yeah, that's what I... And it's just going to get worse. Yeah, my exact note at the end is I don't think they've necessarily been terrible as far as judgment calls go. The regular refs, it seems like, and after every week, we can point to five or six games that they made a mistake. But they're under a microscope, and misinterpreting rules and not understanding the rules is way less acceptable than blowing a judgment call like a pass interference. Yeah. So let's get our real refs back, huh? Yeah, it's, it's about time. Let's do it. All right, last thing here, and it's not happy. It's sad, and it's a really tough day for everyone who's a fan of the NFL, anyone who's ever worked in NFL films, anyone who's ever been a part of NFL films. Um. Steve Sable, the son of Hall of Famer Ed Sable, passed away today after an 18-month battle with brain cancer. Uh, Really as sad as it gets. And a couple of weeks ago, we were lucky enough to have Rob Gehring, the producer of Hard Knocks, on the show, the director of Hard Knocks and a senior producer for NFL Films. And I'm sure he's having a tough day today dealing with the passing of Mr. Sable. And I guess... Kind of the silver lining of all this is that the Sable family did get to have their day together in Canton yeah. when Mr. Sable went into the Hall of Fame. But I think that this should put a bigger microscope on Steve Sable and 
how he should be also included in the Hall of Fame for everything that he's done, all the influence that NFL Films has had. Uh, everyone has heard his voice, which we played off the top of the show, yeah. and associates it with football. If you can't picture him, uh, but you know the name, trust me, if you're if you're over, what, 25 maybe, you would know absolutely who this guy was. I mean, NFL Films were right in my wheelhouse growing up as like a young... Like, you get a little more jaded when you get older about sports, but when you're a 12, 13, 14-year-old kid and watching NFL films, like, it's it's magic. Like, it uh, makes it seem like football's bigger than it is. Like, these films were awesome, and you would recognize Steve Sable the second you saw him. And, you know, him and his father really revolutionized just the way football is filmed. Yeah. You know, I I mean, really, everything, and you, if you think about the way the league runs now with the billion-dollar television contracts, that wouldn't have been possible if not for the way that Ed and Steve Sable's vision of filming this game and documenting it with video. Yeah, really hard knocks, probably owes a nod. To, I mean, definitely they owe a nod to this. Yeah, that's a Steve, that's a NFL Films production. Right, right. Um, maybe more contemporary. You know, hard knocks is a great example. Also, A Football Life, right, uh, which airs on the NFL Network. That's an NFL Films production. Inside the NFL, if you've been a fan of that, that's a NFL Films production. Uh, so, all we wanted to say on the Sportscasters today, Football Nation presents the Sportscasters, and we said it on the other show. Rest in peace, Mr. Sable. Our prayers are with the Sable's fam- Sable family. Godspeed. Our next guest is from Baltimore, Maryland, and is a graduate of Syracuse University. Early in his career, he worked at the Detroit Free Press covering the Detroit Red Wings. After leading the Red Wings to a few Stanley Cups, he spent 10 years at the Washington Post, including five years he spent on the Redskins beat. In 2009, he joined the NFL Network, where he was an NFL insider, blogger, and regular contributor to NFL Total Access and other programs on the station. In 2012, he moved to CBS Sports, where he appears on the network's pregame show each week and writes for CBS.com. A warm sportscaster's welcome to the very talented Jason Lockenfora. What's up, Jason? How's it going? Thank you for the uh, the resume there, the, the, the full review. I appreciate it. I'm getting old fast. Jeez. So, before we get into the football, which is the real reason for the call, i got to know how pumped you are about the Orioles. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, I don't think anyone saw it coming. I don't think anyone thought they would sustain it. And now, I mean, it, it kind of reminds people of, you know, the late 80s and the why not season where, you know, the Orioles just find themselves in a, in a race with Toronto down to, to the, the bitter end and didn't go that way. But thankfully, there's a wild card now. And uh, they're still right there at the end. And it's just been tremendous. They find ways to win ball games without having a real discernible strength other than their bullpen. I mean, the lineup is, is okay. I mean, it's good. It's not great. Starting pitching, they managed to get by with their entire rotation from the beginning of the year, spending some point this season in the minors. It, it's been pretty remarkable. They've been a lot of injuries. I mean, Roland Rymel pretty much misses the whole year. You know, Brian Roberts has been a wash. Uh, Nick Marcakis spends a couple of trips on the DL. Jason Hamill develops as a slug pitcher and he gets hurt a couple times. It's been unreal. They've managed to be right there. So it's pretty cool. It's really exciting for the city. 
Alright, let's get into it a bit here, and good best of luck to your Orioles. I'm rooting for them. They're, they're fun, you know, they're a fun team to root for, for sure. Yeah. Uh, for like an hour yesterday, I was in a discussion with someone about what hashtag should be used to describe the replacement officials, and it was just so frustrating and one of the most annoying conversations I ever had. And I'm just curious, like, we have a game like Monday... And the NFL world is just flipping out on Twitter and everywhere about how bad it is. And then we have a game last night, and it's not really a factor at all. I mean, what's been your opinion on the replacement officials, and what's your sense in terms of your calls and your sources on if there's going to be any kind of resolution to this at all? Um, right now, there's a major sort of difference. One one real roadblock issue is extensions and that the refs want a system where they continue to, to receive pensions and that the league is not offering that. The league is offering more of a 401k type situation. So I don't think they're going to relent the NFL that is. Uh, I just don't. They, they, the coaches lost their pension. Uh, the players didn't get everything they wanted, not even close to it, in their last round of negotiations. So I think it's going to be a tough road to hope for the officials. Uh, week two swung the pendulum from a PR standpoint back towards the lockdown guys. Because the officiating was so poor. But we'll see. I mean, is it going to be that way every week? Is that an anomaly? Uh, will they be a little better in week three? Uh, regardless, the ratings are better than ever. People are going to the games. People are watching the games. Uh, the NFL is a juggernaut that seems like it can't be slowed down really at this point. So, um, I don't know. If you, if you go along with, with, with the NFL, you, you better have a lot of guns in your arsenal. And you better know exactly what you're doing. And you better have a pretty good sense of your market value and your worth. Uh, because they're not going to give you a penny more than they think you're worth. And, and so they'll continue to sit out as they fight over this issue of uh, retirement benefits. It sounds like you tend to kind of agree with Steve Young and his stance that the owners really aren't going to change their position until it starts to affect the demand of the game, right? I mean, they're not going to really respond to a guy making a comment about a fantasy team. They'll just get rid of that guy and keep going, right? Yeah, I think it would take, again, a real seismic shift in uh, sort of how people respond to this culturally and then what the owners themselves are saying. I mean, you know, if, enough, if, enough, if one owner feels like he's been robbed of a couple games because of this, then, then maybe they start to have a little bit of division within uh, the ownership group. But I haven't sensed that to this point. You know, they had secret talks this week. They didn't go anywhere. The league has been steadfast about this issue of pension. And usually when they get, you know, their feet really dug in the sand on something, it's hard to get them to move. You know, the league is really interesting this year in the sense that we have six teams that are 2-0, and six teams that are 0-2, and then the rest of the league is 1-1. One and one. Yeah. Which, te- yeah. which teams have surprised you, either good or bad, and uh, which teams, you know, are, are about exactly how you peg them? And you don't, I mean, you don't need to name all 32, just a couple yeah. of each. Yeah, I mean, uh, I thought the Saints would get off to a better start. I, I thought that they would rally and rise above, but they haven't, and I, I think there's got to be real reason for concern there now. Um, you know, they'll probably beat up on the team. They, they've got they got issues on both sides of the ball that I don't know are going to be quickly fixed. Uh, I thought Carolina would get off to a better start. I mean, week one and week three, their offense was horrible, um, and this was a team that was putting up yardage by the you know by the handful a year ago and, and 
Cam Newton was finding ways to get in the end zone multiple different uh, ways every week. Um, uh, you know, other teams that have surprised me. I mean, Arizona, I, I thought they had a good defense, but, you know, starting 2-0, you know, I didn't think they'd beat Seattle, and I didn't think they'd beat, beat New England. Not that I thought they were a horrible team or anything, but I didn't think they'd get off to this 2-0 start. Uh, you know, that'd be a really interesting game with Philadelphia. But you know, we, we really are just getting into this thing. So I, I think, you know, with, except for certain many exceptions, you got to be a little careful about how many sweeping conclusions you draw from such a small sample size. Yeah, no no reason really to overreact in either direction just yet. Still 14 football games to be played for most of the league. Um this this is a this is a football question, not a fantasy football question. This this is something I want to know from a football perspective if you've seen anything. What's going on with Chris Johnson? Because he's just he took a step back last year from the player that won the rushing title. And this year, he doesn't even look like he's in the league. Have you talked to anyone or heard anything or seen anything? What's going on with this guy? Um, tune into uh, the NFL today at noon Eastern time on Sunday, and I may have some stuff on Chris Johnson. <laughs> okay, we'll do that. NFL today, yeah. Sunday on CBS, and The Lock has got some information on Chris Johnson. I almost scooped you there, huh? Yeah, yeah, you almost you're getting in trouble with my producers. <laughs> uh, the league's got five rookie quarterbacks this year starting games, and we all know about the great start that uh, Robert Griffin III got to in New Orleans. Do you have any thoughts or observations on the five rookie quarterbacks so far? Um, you know, I, I, I think obviously the, the, the top two that they were drafted where they were for a reason, they both are perfect fits for the scheme and for how those teams want to have their offensive philosophies. And, and you can see uh, exactly why they're so enamored with them. Um, you know, I think, you know, Russell Wilson is probably not always going to be a completely smooth operation, but he's a gamer. People want to play with him. People rally behind him. He brings out good things in other people. Um, and, and I think because they have a defense there uh, and because they have some pieces around them, he, he, you know, he may actually get a few more wins than, than some of those guys who have kicked ahead of them. Um, you know, I think, I think Tannehill and Wheaton, uh, it, it's going to be tough. Um, they both bounce back really well in week two, but I think they're going to have difficulty sustaining a lot of success in their rookie season because they don't have much around them at all. Uh, they're in very difficult positions. Cleveland plays a really, really tough schedule. Um, you know, but, but we'll see. Um, the fact that they got Trent Richardson going last week, and if they can run the ball like that and use him in the screen game, then he's going to be Wheaton's best friend. You know, Tannehill, Miami's probably got the worst group of receivers in the NFL, and they don't really have a pass-catching tight end. So, you know, I don't know how much you can expect that kid to do right away. Um, but I thought after having really that, that horrible sequence of four straight possessions with a turnover in week one, he, he found a way to stay composed. And, and you know, they're, they're really taking baby steps with those guys. They're not going to ask any of those kids to try to do too much because they just can't right now. You know, I hope this isn't another one that's queued up for CBS on Sunday, but what's going on with the Patriots and Wes Welker? Um, you know, I, I would just say it's two weeks, you know, so uh, it's a long season. He's an older guy, had some surgery. Sometimes people start to age a little bit quickly. And, you know, they gave him $10 million. Bucks. They hope that this is someone can produce for them throughout the season. So, uh, you know, I don't think anybody's out to get Wes Welker. I don't think Wes Welker's been buried. 
They've got a multitude of offensive weapons that they need to feed the ball to, too. Uh, but especially if you're paying those two tight ends and getting Brandon Lloyd and now having in Ridley someone they believe is a more dynamic back and someone who can really make them be a plus team in the running game, and not going to let anybody get caught in 10 times a week. I mean, that's just reality. And, you know, Adam is a little more spry. So there's a place for Wes Welker in this offense. And the Hernandez injury will certainly open that up a little bit more. Um, but I, I don't, you know, I don't think he's going to be traded. Or I don't know if there's anything drastic or someone making it out. Now, will he be back there next year? That's a valid question. And he very well may not. But I also think, in talking to some scouts, that if, if he is aging quickly, you know, and the money may not be there for him, and the best bet may be a hometown discount deal in New England. But, but his, his, his big money earning days could be over. I know you've been following the story really closely, and I've been reading your work on CBS.com on the bounty, especially since the panel decided to uh, suspend the suspensions and give it back to Commissioner Goodell. Uh, what is your opinion on how these suspensions will be ultimately handled by the league, and when do you expect this to be done? Well, the intention was to do it pretty quickly, but then, you know, they couldn't agree on the terms of the Scott Fajita meeting, so that, that pushes things back. So um, I, I would be very surprised if the commissioner ruled, you know, without having talked to all all parties involved, and he hasn't talked to Fajita yet. So that, that probably pushes it back a little bit. Um, I don't think things will change tremendously drastically. I, I know people close to the players don't anticipate that Goodell, you know, completely switches field. Um, maybe he, he locks a little bit off. That may placate some of these guys, but they won't placate all of them. So, I mean, you know, even if he's like, let's say, cut Zilbo's deal in half, I still think Jonathan Zilbo is going through with his lawsuit and trying to pursue other avenues uh, to get his suspension lifted. Um, you know, if you know, you know, as a free agent, he may be prepared to fight. You know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with the other guys. But I think we still could be heading towards some, some court action, whether it be individual lawsuits, that are either already uh, underway or could be taken. And then also the idea, still with the NFLPA, um, you know, to go back to that federal judge in Louisiana based on whatever Goodell does or doesn't say and say, hey, can we can we move forward now with this injunction? Uh, you know, can you make a ruling on our proposal to get an injunction put in place against these suspensions? One last football question. Um the Eagles are a really interesting 2-0 team, having turned the ball yeah. over nine times in their first two games and really getting lucky to beat a Cleveland team that nobody expects to be a Super Bowl team and getting lucky again maybe a little bit to beat a Ravens team that people do expect to be a Super Bowl team. What do you think about the Eagles and what kind of team they really are after seeing them in two weeks? You know, I, I think they're... Um I really like where they are defensively, um, and they're going to they're going to attack a lot of quarterbacks. They're going to get after people, uh, and, and they're not going to be an easy out. Uh, offensively, I just don't know if they can sustain the decision making of Michael Vick and the punishment that he's taking. You know, now you know, they, they're down another tackle. You know, I mean, not having Jason Peters hurts, and then injuries on top of that, they lose their center Kelsey for the year. Uh, I don't. I, I just you know. I'd have some reservations that King Dunlap can beat up. They can run the ball. Um, they've got obviously some, some dynamic wide receivers, and I think Michael Vick, when he's right, can be a really, really special player. But it's such a long season. You know, two doses at the Marcus Ware uh, is still to come. 
leading up and you know battles with the Giants. We know what they can do to opposing quarterbacks. I, I just don't know if they're going to be able to keep it up, um, and, and certainly the turnovers they're going to have to uh, they're going to have to nip that in the bud as well. Um, but they're they're running the ball better in short yardage situations than we've seen a lot of times in the past. Uh, I, I think Tom Bowles was huge for their secondary. He's a stud coach. He's going to be a head coach in this league. And I, I, you know, he's got those corners and safeties playing a lot better than we saw last year. Uh, but I just, boy, they can't keep the quarterback up late. You know, if it's, if it's if somebody else has to go in there, Trent, Trent Edwards or the kid or whoever, then they're probably you know, in a world of trouble. The sports guests are here finishing up with uh, Jason Lackenfora, who you can find on Twitter. Uh, by simply at Jason Lackenfora, one of the one of the best tweeters out there. If you want to get some football information, maybe some information on some punk rock, maybe some information on the Orioles, it's a great Twitter feed to follow. And of course, you can find his work on CBS.com. And we all have to tune in to the NFL today on Sunday at noon so we can find out what's up with Chris Johnson. Before I let you go, just one quick question. You had to make, I'm sure, a very difficult decision to move from the NFL Network to CBS.com, and I'm just curious, maybe, you know, how how is it different with uh, CBS, and and what do you like most about the new job so far? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thrilled. Uh, it was just a tremendous opportunity, and you know, a complete a complete blessing, and, and you know, the kind of opportunity that I don't I don't think you can pass up. I mean. It's, the major network with CBS when I grew up watching the NFL today on CBS and sitting there with my dad on the couch learning about football. Um, you know, it's such an institution. It's, it's such a tremendous network and, and entertainment conglomerate. And, and so, and they're based in New York City and I live in Baltimore. And the NFL network is in Culver City, California, within our head. So, you know, I'm on a train right now, two hours and ten minutes, and I'm in, I'm in the city. You know, I'm in the offices. I'm, I'm 10 minutes from our studios. It's, it, from that standpoint, it's, it's tremendous. And it's, you know, the exposure, I mean, it's, it's CBS. I mean, but congratulations to them. I mean, the NFL was awesome. And they just got their deal done with Time Warner today. So, yeah, it's know, unbelievable. It's huge for them. So now, you know, they're on, you know, regular cable platforms, I guess, in, in New York and LA, which they hadn't been in the past. So that puts, that, you know, that's, that's a big, 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 I can't, I can't overstate how big of a day it is for them. I'm so happy for everybody there. It was a tremendous place to be. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I love where I am. I, I couldn't be any happier. And when, when the opportunity arose, the timing was just right, and it made sense for so many reasons. Um, that you know, personal, even above and beyond professional. Uh, but but for, you know, it, 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 it's CBS. You know, it's pretty. It's pretty cool. I'm I'm just thrilled to, to be a part of the team and everybody. You know, the producers, my producer Eric Mann, I and mean, he's he's a legend. I mean, James Brown is a legend. You get to work with these guys, Coach Powell, Boomer. Shannon, all those guys. Marino, they just been tremendous. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. Uh, it's, again, Jason Lockenfora at Jason Lockenfora on Twitter. Best of luck to your Orioles, and thank you so much for a little bit of time today. My pleasure, guys. All the best. Have a great weekend. Thank you. All right, we got to thank the lock, Jason Lock and Fora, for being on the show today. Really appreciate that. Hopefully, you guys enjoy the interview. Uh, a couple pieces of business to take care of before we get into the email, and one last thing. 
don't forget to check out Season 2, Episode 32 of the Sportscasters, featuring interviews with Lee Jenkins, Ben Ryder, and Roy McGregor. You can find that at www.sports-casters.com or on iTunes or at Stitcher Radio. Uh, also, don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Sportscasters, or Facebook.com slash the Sportscasters. Uh, we're on Twitter at sports underscore casters. And like Don, as I have mentioned in the past, if you want to listen to anything in our catalog, it's still available on the Football Nation website. And also on a site called Pod- Podomatic. If you go to Podomatic, oh, yeah, yeah. you can search for us there as well. And we are on iTunes uh, for both podcasts. So if you search for the Sportscasters on iTunes, you can subscribe to either podcast uh please email us the sportscasters at gmail.com we look forward to getting your emails and don we do have another one this week as well yeah this one is directed to you so i'll stand back but uh steve i know from listening to the show that you are a huge saints fan after two awful performances do you have any hope they can still be a playoff team this is from clint in baton rouge ah clint Clint goes right after my heart, huh? Yeah, I guess so. Listen, I've been as frustrated as anyone with this team. And I know that from the start, I was told that the defense was going to need some time to learn Steve Spagnuolo's scheme. That it's complicated and that it's hard and that there needs to be some patience. Well, I got to tell you, I'm out of that patience. (laughs) Uh, It's just somewhere around... Steve Smith catching that 66-yard pass when no one was covering him right after the Saints had cut it to eight in the fourth quarter. That patience ran out. But, you know, to answer the question specifically, yes, there are some things that lead me to believe they still can be a playoff team. One of them is there's a lot of parity in the league so far. Um, There's only six 2-0 teams in the whole league. And, yeah, it sucks being the only 0-2 team in the NFC right now, but that just means there's a lot of teams that are 1-1, which means that we're only one game out of probably being tied with a bunch of teams for the second wild card or something like that. And Atlanta looks tough, but, you know, this season still might come down to those games in Atlanta. And, you know, sometimes the whole season is about timing. And if we had to go to Green Bay this week, I'd be shaking in my boots thinking, oh, man, we're going to go to Green Bay and we're going to lose and we're going to be 1-3. and three. But instead, we have a home game this week against the Chiefs. We've been worse than we are. And if you send me this email next week and we have lost to the Chiefs, the answer is going to be no. Yeah. But as of right now, with the Chiefs coming into town and Drew Brees hopefully being angry and ready to turn his season around, there is some hope that the Saints can get a win there and get a little bit of momentum before we have to go to Lambeau Field and then maybe we can get a victory there and be 2-2. Two and two. Yeah, the biggest negative this week is that they lost – a divisional they game. lost a division game. and So they're going to have to go out. They're going to have to win, beat Carolina in the other game if, if Carolina is going to be decent. And then, I mean, with Atlanta, you still control your own destiny. You win two games there. It's two losses tagged onto them. So I think they got plenty of time still, too. Yeah, I'm not ready to give up yet, Clint. Hang in there, buddy. All right, that's our email this week. All right, so we debuted this last week, and I think to some success. We're calling it one last thing, and... Sure, we might have kind of ripped it off from around the horn. Uh, <laughs> if you've ever watched that show, the winner is allowed 15 seconds of airtime to kind of just talk about something. And that's how we're going to end each show now. We're going to just kind of vent about. Yeah, it injects a little bit of us into the podcast, too. So, Don, one last thing. All right, one last thing for me. 
The Buffalo Bills are the best offensive line in football. Uh, last season, they gave up the fewest sacks in the league. They were ranked 13th in the run game, uh, 5th in the most yards per average. So, I mean, 13th overall, that's the fault of the play callers, not the offensive line. This season, they're the only team in the league yet to give up a sack, and they're the best rushing team in the league. Eric Wood is an absolute stud, their center, and Cordy Glenn is proving a lot of people wrong that he can't play left tackle. And they play nasty. This is just not something you've seen out of a Buffalo Bills team since their Super Bowl years, and I love it. All right, one last thing for me. Sorry, Philadelphia Eagles fans, Andy Reid and Michael Vick. I just don't buy you. I haven't bought it in a long time. I didn't buy into the Dream Team stuff last night. I'm not buying into this paper-thin 2-0 start either. It was a 17-16 win in Cleveland that was ugly and lucky. I don't know what the hell happened to Baltimore on Sunday, but they should have beaten you as well. You have nine turnovers in two games, and that's way too many. And listen to this, Don. In the next four weeks, they play the 2-0 Cardinals, defending Super Bowl champion Giants. They go to Pittsburgh. They play Detroit. Then they have a bye week, and then they play Atlanta. Wow. This is a brutal stretch, and I'm going to say right here, right now, for everyone to hear that when it's over, Atlanta's going to be... Three and five. Or Philadelphia. Philadelphia, yeah. So that's one last thing for me. I don't buy Philly. Spend my day 